going to invite you to be seated. And um, we hope this trend does not continue, that Marissa was sick, and then she got up here with a scratchy voice and preached an amazing message last week. Um, and we'd like that trend to continue. <laughs> amazing messages, but not the scratchy voices. So anyway, um, thank you, Marissa, for that message last week. And you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, we're going to be talking today about being restored to love. And um, when Jesus met with those that were on the mountain, his followers in the crowd, his desire was to see people flourish. Um, and so he begins to teach. And the first thing he does is he speaks blessings and more blessings and more blessings. He so desires to bless us. And then second, he speaks about their identity as salt and their purpose as light and um, Derek brought just a beautiful message teaching us about how that that salt was really um, just showing their value, their identity as so valuable, our identity as being valued in his kingdom and our purpose as being light. And the way to do this is to live a life of love. And that is really what the law was intended to be, is to show us how to live lives of love. And so um, we're going to be looking at how Jesus takes on seven teachings then that needed to be a little corrected. Um, They hadn't quite gotten it accurate on his heart intent, God's intent, with these commands that were given. So we looked at murder, we looked at adultery, and today we're going to take on the topic of divorce because Jesus took on the topic of divorce, and he knew that there were people in the audience that this directly applied to and that their lives had been touched by this. And um, today in this room, I would just want to recognize that there are those of us in this room, maybe many of us, whose lives have been directly touched by divorce, either personally, parents, our grandparents, siblings, close friends, And I want to be sensitive um, as I share this topic today, um, saying that one sermon, maybe 30 minutes, is um, not enough to go into all the nuances and every specific situation, but it can start a dialogue for us. And so if you've got questions afterwards, or if this hits a point where it just is a really sensitive area and it makes you feel sad or hurt or whatever that is. We've got care elders, we've got pastor of care here, Jaleesa, myself, prayer partners, um, and one another, all right? And so um, just recognize that um, this topic Jesus brought up, and he brought it up not to hurt us, but to help us, okay? And so um, looking at Matthew 5, 31 and 32, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. 
and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I found four quotes this week about divorce from various people in our world, and I want to read them. They um, help us see some different slants on the topic of divorce that we might want to consider today. Um, First one, there's no pain or failure like going through a divorce. Jennifer Lopez says that. Another quote, imagine spreading everything you care about on a blanket and then tossing the whole thing up in the air. The process of divorce is like loading that blanket, throwing it up, watching it all spin, and worrying about the stuff that will break when it lands. Amy Poehler. A writer in a book, this is a quote from a book called Landline, you don't know when you're 23. You don't know what it really means to crawl into someone else's life and stay there. You can't see all the ways you're going to get tangled. You're going to bond skin to skin. How the idea of separating will feel in five years, in 10, in 15. When Georgie thought about divorce now, she imagined lying side by side with Neil on two operating tables while a team of doctors tried to unthread their vascular systems. She didn't know at 23. And then last quote from Taylor Jenkins Reid from the book The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Heartbreak is a loss. Divorce is a piece of paper. Today we want to hear what Jesus says about divorce as he addresses the notion that divorce is just a piece of paper. He gives some very important instructions that will help our lives shine like a bright light of hope in the world. And so, to begin, I want to say, share a few interesting things about the culture of the Old Testament, because it's important for us to know what was the culture in that time, the culture that had been when the certificate of divorce was spoken about, and when Jesus was speaking to the crowd. Well, first of all, women didn't have rights. And marriage was pretty much prearranged, and it often um, was considered more of a business transaction in the community. The wife became the property of the husband, and a husband could divorce his wife, but a wife could not divorce her husband. If divorced, the wife and the children were sent away homeless. And finally, a sent away woman had no means of supporting herself, and her likely options were remarriage or prostitution. And so to be divorced was to be placed in a very vulnerable and dangerous situation. Now, divorce in the Old Testament, as has been said already, Jesus is correcting and clarifying wrong teaching that was taught by the Jewish leaders. And he started out by saying, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, a piece of paper. All right? Probably a piece of a scroll, not paper like we know it now. But there were two approaches to divorce, and one was simply the practice of a husband sending his wife away. 
And divorce is defined as to send away or to be dismissed. And this could be done for any reason. If the wife didn't season the food the way he liked it, she could be divorced. If she didn't keep the house straightened up, she could be divorced. If she didn't keep the children quiet, she could be divorced. I read that if she spun in the street, she could be divorced. I mean, if you've got somebody happy enough to be spinning in the street, like I'm guessing, like joyful, like, you know, twirling around, um, she could be divorced. And so if he saw somebody that was more beautiful or that um, maybe he wasn't pleased with the way their sexual relationship was for any reason, he could just simply send her away. There was no security for the wife whatsoever. It was very much a performance-based relationship. All right? That's the first way that divorce was handled was just simply bye-bye. The second way, um, and because the divorce was so prevalent, Moses gave this instruction in Deuteronomy 24.1. This is from the New Living Translation. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. And so the certificate of divorce, the piece of paper, was meant not to endorse the practice of divorce, but it was spoken by Moses with these things in mind. First, he was trying to just get the husband to slow down. Just think about this. Don't make an impulsive decision. And so by having a process where he had to actually um, proceed with legal hearings, he was hoping to discourage divorce in a culture where it was just incredibly prevalent. And then, as Jesus explained in Matthew 19:8, which I think Jalisa may be preached on uh, this summer or early fall, <clears throat> It says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally designed. And so because their hearts were hard, he permitted this. He made a concession, but this was not God's design. And the certificate of divorce I found um, in a Jewish reference, um, a certificate of divorce and the wording of that. And um, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to give you a feel for what that was like, what the words were. It, it has some blanks in here, so I'm just going to fill in the blanks with some random names. So I, Joe, the son of Ben, by whatever name I may be known, of the town of Bethlehem, with entire consent of mind and without any constraint, have divorced, dismissed, and expelled thee, daughter Gina, of Nashville, to be free at thy own disposal, to marry whomsoever thou pleasest, without hindrance from anyone, from this day forward forever. Thou art therefore free for anyone who would marry thee. Let this be thy bill of divorce from me, according to the law of Moses and Israel. Thus, the typical Jewish certificate of divorce sent the woman away um, freed from the marriage and free to remarry. 
And Jesus is correcting this, and he's saying that's not correct understanding of what God intended. And so, as he said, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, Jesus, authoritative Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the divorced wife is not free to remarry, but rather becomes the victim of adultery. She's defiled by adultery. And a man is not permitted to marry a divorced woman. And if he does, he commits adultery. And adultery technically when um, the word was originated, it meant having unlawful intercourse with somebody else's wife. Because remember, women didn't divorce, so it was a very one-sided definition. Um, now, since Jesus has restored a proper view of marriage, it would go both ways, that either way, the man or the woman, if remarried, would be committing adultery. So, but I think I've read that so many times, but it didn't really sink in. If they're divorced, he's saying they're committing adultery. God still views the wife and husband as one. All right? So, adultery was forbidden in the seventh commandment. It says, you shall not commit adultery. That's in Exodus 20:14 and Deuteronomy 5:18. And adultery is viewed by God as a very serious sexual sin. Deuteronomy 22.22 says, If a man slept with a married woman, both were to be put to death. So this this is a sin guilty of the death penalty. Obviously, this misunderstanding about the freedom to divorce and remarry was a very serious problem and Jesus is addressing it and when we wonder you know there were so many things that he could talk about and he began and this is the third item on his list right after murder and lust and anyway but this it's because of the effects of divorce Jesus knew that divorce is incredibly destructive And so Malachi 2.16, which is the last book of the Old Testament, if you're trying to find Malachi, it says this. In the NIV, it says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. To divorce does violence. The New Living Translation translates that exact same verse this way. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Are you even noticing in Malachi how it refers to who's speaking? 
is telling us God Most High, the Lord, the God of Israel, Lord Almighty, Lord of Heaven's armies. In case you're wondering where this instruction comes from, it comes from God Almighty. There is no higher authority that could give any different instruction. So, what would Jesus say about our culture today? Not the culture of the world that's under the power and influence of the prince of darkness, but what would he say about the culture of the church? His body. When Jesus looks at the church, he sees divorce and remarriage in increasing numbers. He sees men and women feeling the pain and failure of divorce, just like Jennifer Lopez. He empathizes with those who feel like everything they care about is being tossed up and just watching for how it's going to come down and break. Jesus sees children crying themselves to sleep. He sees youth trying to take on adult roles to hold a family together. He sees parents and grandparents that are struggling and so um, sad as they watch a stressed-out couple come apart. The pain is as sharp as a kidney stone, and the divorce settlement as complex as a team of surgeons trying to unthread fused vascular systems, to refer back to our earlier quote. Divorce does violence to those involved, and it heaps cruelty on those who are rejected. Perhaps we've been lulled by the culture into thinking that divorce wasn't that serious. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says that the sexual sins that are committed, they're committed against one's own body, 1 Corinthians 6.18. This implies that when divorce and remarriage occurs, that we sin against our own souls. Our souls are damaged when divorce occurs. The two that God joined as one cannot be separated without great damage to both spouses. All for what? Lust, wanting somebody that isn't yours. Greed, wanting to satisfy one's own desires instead of God's desires. I read this week that lust is a pursuit that leaves you as empty-handed as when you started. I've talked to many people with deep, deep regrets over choices they've made. And they've ended up empty, broken, and they lose sometimes everything that they loved. If, like the men of old, we think that it's okay to divorce, if we mistakenly think that a certificate of divorce, a paper, means that um, a spouse is free to remarry, If we think it's okay to marry someone who is divorced or has been divorced, then listen. Jesus is saying that our thoughts don't align with his word. When we sin through divorce, we sin against ourselves. We sin against our spouse, any future spouse, and each one is an image bearer of God. Wouldn't it be horrible to do something that we didn't know was wrong? Jesus loves us enough to correct us, and he wants the best for us, 
And he doesn't want to see us hurt or us to hurt anybody else. And he says that we're going to be held accountable for every word and every action that we take in this life. And as a good parent, he clearly explains things before he holds us accountable. God not only tells us how to live, but he shows us. Scripture gives us an example of a marriage and a perfect spouse to try to model our lives after if we are married. Who is this that I'm talking about? Ananias and Sapphira? Mary and Joseph? Who is that perfect spouse? It's Jesus and his church. Christ is the ultimate model of tender, sacrificial love, the two-in-oneness of Christ and his church, the body. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at it in Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible <clears throat> to open it up to that passage. Andrew Kivenhoven, in his book, um, what is it, Comfort? Uh, well, I forgot the title of his book, but Andrew Kivenhoven um, says this, basic to the whole range of husband-wife relations is a steady commitment a fidelity that is rooted in God's own covenant faithfulness. And his book is all about the Heidelberg Catechism, and this was under the 108-109 section that you um, referenced last week, Marissa. So Paul describes this relationship, this perfect spouse, in Ephesians 5, 21-33. And as you listen, you're listening to a combination of a description of a husband and a wife and Jesus and his church. And it's all beautifully intermingled. And out of respect, deep respect for God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand up if you're able to right now. And I'm going to read this scripture. And we're listening for what does the perfect spouse look like. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, 
but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. As you listen to what the perfect spouse sounds like, and as you contrast that to what was happening in the culture of that time where a husband would just send away a wife, as you contrast it to the culture of this time where either spouse might send each other away, we see something so different and so beautiful in Jesus Christ and the way he loves, the way he loves sacrificially. He lays down his life. He cares for, feeds, clothes, takes care of, even as he takes care of himself. And to think, this is the role model. How am I, if I'm married, how am I to function? I'm to function as Christ loves the church. The grace for us today is that Jesus, like Jesus covenants himself to the church, the enduring strength of the marriage bond is covenant loyalty. A marriage is based on covenant, a legal promise of faithful, loving kindness, and mutual support until death parts a couple. Excuse me. Our denomination has endorsed the Human Sexuality Report. We've heard much about what it says about same-sex attraction. Did you realize there's a section on divorce in that report? They advise that because the sin and resulting pain of divorce has impacted so many in the church that we need biblical teaching on marriage again in in our congregations. We need to reaffirm the general principle that divorce and remarriage constitute adultery. That's from page 484 of the 1980 study report. And the church needs to counsel firmly and compassionately against any remarriage that conflicts with biblical teaching. And so what does the Bible teach about marriage? We go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Marriage was designed by God. Spouses were designed to be co-laborers in his kingdom. They were joined for life. They were joined by God himself. Man was not to separate what God joined together. And a married couple, it says, becomes one flesh. Our loving, committed marriages are a witness and a sign to the world of Christ and his church. As I thought about this and the change between our culture and what it describes for the Old Testament, I thought at least in our nation, our culture, what a blessing for women to live in a culture where they have rights. And yet that means we have the responsibility along with men to be biblically informed and choose to be obedient to God. No one should be victims, and I understand, and again, the nuance of what happens within relationships. But the idea is that for um, biblical marriage, 
It's based on a promise. It's based on a covenant until death do you part. God's designed it this way because he knows how he's designed us and he wants us to flourish. And so today's message is really all about God restoring the original design for marriage as a covenant of love meant for a lifetime because his intent is for not just our own personal flourishing, but for families to flourish as we live as people who love well. God cares not just about the two partners, the two spouses. He cares about the children. He cares about the grandchildren. And so how can we respond and obey to this message? I'd like to suggest a few ways. If you've already experienced divorce, turn to the Lord with repentance for your role in the breakdown of a relationship. Ask God to heal your soul. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. If your spouse is not remarried, pray for the miracle of reconciliation. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help to help prepare you to be a faithful, loving spouse if given the chance to reconcile. If reconciliation is not an option, ask God to help you to be totally devoted to him and content as a celibate, single disciple of Jesus. And as we heard last week, he is the one our hearts seek, Song of Songs. And as we heard Nancy give a beautiful preaching about a year ago on just the, the intimacy that you can have as a single follower of Jesus. All right. If you've divorced and remarried, some of us sit here in that situation today. If you've never stopped to repent and ask for forgiveness, you can do that today. God doesn't ask you to divorce again, but you can ask him to give you and your current husband or wife a fresh start. If you sit here and you're single, or if you're a child or a youth that's listening to this message, please pray. Please pray for marriages, the marriages of the church, to be Christ-centered and glorifying to God. If you're considering marriage, some of you may be considering or may be in the position to be considering marriage. Know what the Bible teaches about marriage and the lifetime commitment that you will make. Get biblical pre-marriage counseling. I highly recommend that. And if you're married, I want to encourage you. Spend time reading, meditating, and reflecting on that passage from Ephesians 5 that we stood up and listened to today. And think about Christ's love for the church. And ask the Lord to help you to become a more loving spouse. I encourage working with a counselor if you and your spouse need some help communicating with each other. Because as Dane pointed out, so often it's the communication. As we were talking about this message, it's so often the problem with communication 
that sometimes we just need some help with that. And if you're married, I want to also suggest that you might want to consider a covenant renewal, a renewing of your vows, a commitment, again, to yourself and to your spouse, a life of service, of love, and respect for one another. Several years ago, I just got it in my mind that we needed to renew our vows. And um, so anyway, I talked to Dane, and he was like, well, that would be all right. And um, we have them we have them on our kitchen counter so we can remember them. Some of you all had a smoother start. Some of us had a rockier start. And anyway, so we've got our marriage vows. The pastor, maybe he knew we would need them in a prominent place. So he did calligraphy, and he wrote them up and framed them. And so we've got them on our kitchen counter, and I read them and remind myself of what I promised. And... Um, I don't know if you stop by and do that too sometimes, but I got it in my heart. You know, you might want to. <laughs> but I got it in my heart that it would be good to just renew our vows. And so I um, got some can. I told the kids, I want you all to be here at a certain time. And they were like, what's mom? You know, and I'm like, I just want you all to be here. Dad and I are going to renew our vows. And so we did it in like by our kitchen table in the living room. And read our vows to each other, and um, I think we had a candle lit and had some little refreshments and um, all. And I just remember our son had been out deer hunting, and he and his hunting buddy came in, and you know they're sitting in their fatigues and all, and they're and they're in high school, you know, kind of like what is going on, you know. But anyway, but they they sat there and were witnesses to our renewed vows, and um, I've never regretted that we did it. So it doesn't have to be a big thing, but hey, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if maybe all the married spouses in here wanted to recommit their vows and we could do it all together? Um, I don't know, just an idea. Anyway, um, in closing, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about an acquaintance that I have. Um, She and her spouse had several grown children and um, they decided to get a divorce. They were church-going people. They knew what Scripture taught about um, marriage and divorce, but they made this decision to divorce. And um, whenever I saw this person, she was moody. She was tearful. She um, was stressed. She was concerned about her kids. And there was a deep sense of loss and sadness, along with a lot of anger, hurt, deep questioning, and just a general lack of a sense of peace about what they had done. I also interacted with one of these persons' um, children, their adult children. And what I found as I talked with one of her kids was that um, the kids had tried to, they decided they weren't going to take sides. But even in trying not to take sides, they ended up squabbling because They were trying to defend one another and defend whichever, and they ended up taking sides. They also were terribly distracted by their, um, from, you know, what was going on with their parents. And so their college studies were suffering because of it. And then also they were grieving the loss of all the family traditions where they couldn't be together. And it wasn't the same anymore. It would have been terrible 
if the story ended there. But praise God, it didn't. Fast forward a few years later, and I found out that this acquaintance and her husband, by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's work in them, it, he changed their hearts. And he, he stirred their hearts to remarry one another, to get some counseling, to work on their marriage. And so they had a wedding, and um, they got back together. And whenever I have the opportunity to interact with this person, this person is so much more joyful and at peace. And um, the kids, some of the fallout has, I think, kind of lingered. But for the most part, they've been very, very joyful and rejoicing that their parents are back together. Jesus sympathizes with us. He's faced every imaginable situation with us, the church, as his spouse. Think about it. We're the spouse of Jesus, and if we think our spouses have maybe done us wrong, what has Jesus endured with us as his church? He loves us so much. He longs for us to love him as much as we love he loves us. He is our Savior, he totally understands, and he restores us through his blood, by his spirit, being in his word and washed by his word, to love him more, to loyally love one another. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Your ways are good. Lord, this world is hard. And Lord, we grieve with those who are in um, places of deep grief and pain over divorce and the effects of divorce. And we pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, we grieve where we as spouses don't live up to our promises don't love, don't care, don't respect one another as we should. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we pray for um, children and grandchildren who are grieving the effects of divorce. And we think of not only within our extended families, but Lord, we think about the children and youth of this neighborhood. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray that whomever you have joined together as husband and wife in your church, Lord, I pray that our marriages would be renewed, refreshed, restored, that we would be a beacon of hope, and that we would also be used to teach a countercultural way, a way of flourishing, your way what you teach. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.